Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Russell Young. He's the Vice President of Growth at Tenna. So Russ, thank you so much for being on the show. Pleased to be here, Tats. Thanks for having me. So I don't know how to say this, but you know, a lot of times we'll do like an onboarding thing for the show. And we, we were having sort of a, an idea session on what, what your background is and stuff like that. And, and something that I will never, ever forget happened. And can you please fill us in? Well, sure. Yeah, uh, it, it's as memorable for me as it is for you. I can assure you that. Yes, while, while, while Tats and I were uh, discussing like issues of the day, uh, trying to figure out what we might talk about on, on this podcast, my wife burst into, as we're all working at home in COVID these days, my wife started pounding on my door and was choking on a piece of chicken and was changing colors, couldn't talk. And I had to give her the Heimlich maneuver. The whole thing was over in about 12 seconds, but it was a pretty, <laughs> a pretty intense 12 seconds. So Tats is now famous at my house as well as the guy that we were talking when my wife came. By, by the way, for everybody, she is great. And, and when she tells the story, she phrases as, I saved her life. And I, I think that's overselling it, but, but I'll take it all day long. You know what? I mean, what I saw was there was a banging on the door. I presume you rushed over there. You opened the door. Your wife kind of fell, fell, started to fall over. You caught her. You did the Heimlich, like just just second nature. And then you got it done. So from my point of view, I don't think you were overselling it. You did what had to be done. I remember when I was at a a personal trainer, I was a GM of a fitness facility because that was my original degree. and. And there was a situation where someone had shortness of breath. We had the, an older age seniors program, which is quite big. And one person had that sort of shortness of breath. And there was six of us standing there. And there was one person on my team that immediately reacted and just got the oxygen and administered it. We were all trained, by the way. And it's that instinct. You, you never know if you're the fastest or you have it. And as the story goes, the person that was kind of that first sort of instinctive person went off to become a firefighter. So there is something to that. Like it's something you can't teach. So I, I saw that in you. So good for you, man. I was so worried about you when that happened. So uh, we'll certainly never forget it. I will full disclosure. You might not have heard it when we were speaking, but she had to knock a few times to get me to answer. So I don't know if I get the early responder word. We did get the job done, but uh, she it, it took it took a few few seconds of knocking before I finally got up. No, you you got that. So that was awesome. And I guess I was talking about my degree, but your degree. I looked down your LinkedIn profile was in biology and philosophy. Tell me about that. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know you were going to ask that. We're going way back. That's great. Yeah. I loved science actually. And uh, that is one of my true loves. I actually did work in uh, laser sciences and biology, did internships at like uh, at uh, the Hippo Cancer Research Institute. Maybe I was familiar with that one. And I love science. What I didn't like was the pace, you know, the, the, the business we are in 
with people and in, in, in construction and technology where I play has a, a, an almost frantic pace that I frankly love and maybe addicted to would be the right word. Although I love science and I, I loved uh, the application of problem solving, the, the daily pace of showing up and, and working in a lab and I don't know the amount of time you have to spend writing grants and redoing the same thing. I ended up, my ADD wasn't accurately served. <laughs> so yeah, I, I did science and then I, I went into sales and then I went into technology and technology partnerships. And then, and then finally into construction is the, you know, the, the quick nutshell. Okay. So from sales to software, what was that transition like? What sort of prompted you there? Well, yeah, I grew up in a, a time when e-commerce was taken off and that was sort of the, the leading spot for technology. And so early on, I, I joined, a, I did sales for a life science company called Juwan, big capital medical device. And then I started tracking e-commerce and I went to work for a company called Biospace, still around today, great company, and went there for a long time. And then uh, they kind of had their first e-commerce play there. And then more recently, I've had three tech startups that all grew and, and were acquired. The latest one called Bronto then got acquired by Oracle, but I loved, I guess I loved the pace of e-commerce and uh, of web stuff. So I've always, and now I'm, you know, the, the, the last couple of roles have all been around the SaaS business model. And I guess, you know, t- fast forwarding to now, you know, I, I spent some cycles with FMI, a, a wonderful management consulting company that really ingrained me with that construction love and realized that there is a massive amount of opportunity here. The construction has these incredibly like real visceral personalities that are all about getting the project done and getting mud on their boots. And there was a, a real appetite to figure out how to get more done with less, I guess. And that the, the construction technology tools they're developing was a real an exciting place to be right now. Not just you know, a lot of money going into it, but I realized it kind of um, tats, I guess I'd say it scratches a number of itches for me. I love the technology. I love technology partnerships. I love getting on the field and working with people. And every day is a little bit different. And like, how are we solving this problem today? And let's get it done kind of mentality. And you kind of put all those together and I'm loving the role I'm in now. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that from cloud commerce or cloud computing stuff to, I guess, construction seems like a leap. Was it as big of a leap as I sort of perceive it to be? Well, well, there were, there were, I had great advantages and disadvantages in the change, right? So I did, I did a number of years on the Google Partner Advisory Board as Google was launching their enterprise mm. system, basically, you know, taking that from zero to about a billion dollars. And that was an awesome, super fun ride to be sure, but also very forward thinking. You know, there were, there were, there were always lots of people in the room smarter than me, not the, on tech. And now, now coming into construction, I realized that over a few years, I really had to learn the construction has a live and die by the project kind of nature to it in terms of delivery and, and as well as, you know, a bidding and winning business, delivering business project by project. And then there's also a lot of private ownership in construction, right? There's a, a huge percentage of, of what gets done is doesn't have access to that public funding and therefore doesn't have a mature cycle of how they buy and utilize technology. So when I came into construction, one, I realized, wow, there is a lot of room for improvement that they haven't seen yet. And that, that's where I felt like I could add a lot. And that was fun. But then I also realized that there's a lot of stuff I don't know. And it took a few years for me, you know, I'd be, you know I'm, maybe I'm not the fastest learner, but to, to, to learn the interesting nature of the blend of how do you manage people? How do you manage equipment, which is where Tana plays, of course, and then how do you manage materials? Like, and how do you put those three things together to both win, bid, win, and, and deliver projects is different and special than any other industry. And whether, you know, union, non-union, in a city, not in a city, do you heavy civil work versus a, 
a sub or a GC, and how do they all operate together to deliver projects? It's fascinating in that there are similarities, but then there are also just massive differences all over the industry, which by yeah. the way, I got to tell you, I love. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like a Rubik's cube that you got to keep working. But so I guess my question is, you've been part of all these companies that have grown, right? So you've, you, you understand go-to-market strategy and how that all works. With taking technology into contractors' hands, how do you approach that go-to go-to-market approach? Is it more of a digital approach? Is it more of a field approach? I remember you touching upon something that had elements of both. Sure, sure. At my time of FMI, the reality is you need both. I'll make an amalgam here, Tats, of, of, of a number of stories. At FMI, you might run into actually pretty decent-sized companies that weren't very mature in what you know you and I would look at as a mature selection process and a mature implementation process, where I guess you might have a CEO that gets a, a good salesperson in and, and runs them a great demo and they think, this is fantastic. I'm buying this, right? And then they they didn't do all that, the basic premise of let's get really serious about what what are our business needs and let's list them out. What does the office need? What does the shop need? What does the field need out of this product? and gather all that information, then do a mature selection process and actually compare those products to each other. And I guess I'd say, get all that field feedback, get all that office feedback, because if, I guess I'd say, if you don't know what problem you're really trying to solve, you're gonna have a harder time solving it. So we, we see a lot of folks that buy the sizzle, but don't understand the steak. They're getting better at it. And then I guess I'd say the next step from that is implementation. You know, once you've, you've signed on that line, and you know now you're implementing that, that a lot of folks have a problem with implementation. You know, one, because of that poor selection process, but also they don't understand the importance of really partnering with your technology provider to guarantee to each other certain goals you're going to meet to make sure you actually utilize that, that tool that you paid for and, and have milestones that you agree to that you're going to hit. And what, what's the what is the construction company do? What's the technology provider going to do? Not just their solution, but... Do, have they taken the time to understand your entire problem so they can provide an entire solution? Does it need to, like for my company now, not only do we have to be lights out at, at how we help them with their equipment management, we need to make sure we understand the rest of their systems. How do we tie into their ERP or their project management or project operations? Have we taken the time to understand their current processes and workflow and what is important to them that they need to keep and what are they actually looking to change over time and how do we marry those together? Wonderful. Well said. So from a tactical level to execute on that understanding, what does that look like? Do you set up meetings? What sort of cadence does that look like? Huh, great question. It's actually a little bit different. You know, not, not every construction company looks different, right? They all have their own special stuff. So I'm going to, I guess I'd break that into like areas. So if we're going into a smaller, heavy civil company that maybe just works in one or two states, a lot of our energy is spent with the with the owners because they're the ones that are going to be making what ends up being a little bit more of an emotional buy cycle. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that they don't typically have, here's my budget for this quarter, here's my budget for this quarter kind of enterprise thinking to it. It's more of, hey, if the ROI is there and this is going to make me perform better, then I'm going to buy it kind of a cycle. And so you got to respect that. And then you also need to make sure that you don't just sell something. We're a SaaS model. So if somebody buys us and they don't renew us year three, we don't make money. Great. You know, my, my sales team makes their commission, 
but we don't really make money unless they are happy and thriving. So you got to make sure that they're a good fit. So not just sell the owner, but for us, depends on what tech you're looking at here. But for us, we got to go and meet the equipment manager. We got to meet the people that are actually in charge of maintaining the machinery. We have to understand from the superintendents and foremen and project managers, even how, how they are living their days and how is, how is it ideal to move equipment from site to site? How, how do they look at their heavy yellow stuff? How do they look at their, their trucks and low boys? And what are they doing with their trench boxes and connex boxes? Then all the way down to their tools. The tools maybe aren't the most expensive part, but not knowing where they are and losing them on a project and wasted man hours because you don't even know where they are actually ends up being a huge problem. And when you tie all those together, that's where the magic is. So what's my point is when you're when you want to solve their problem, you got to take the time to talk to all the different players so you know their problem. So that when we get six months in and we've got everything tied up and working, everybody's happy, we had a plan in place. What does the equipment manager need? What does the CFO need? What does the owner need? What does the superintendent need? What does maintenance need? And you tie all that together. And then, you know, that's how you can all agree to a project plan. Well, actually, and if I can, Tat, sorry, uh, I don't mean to go on so long, but what's fascinating to me is that we live in an industry that is so driven by the project and no one would dream of showing up to build something without a very detailed plan and assigning tasks of who's doing what and when and percent to complete and all that. I'm surprised how many companies don't apply the same rigor to, to technology. And what is my plan? What am I getting done the first week, the second week, third week? And what does that look like when I get done? And what's the expected end result of this? And how am I going to measure it to some degree? Yeah. Um, we're getting better at it as an industry, but we still have plenty to learn. Yeah, for sure. Now you touched on something which is always top of mind for me, which is the sales team and making sure it's a fit. Now th there's always pressure on the sales team to sell, but and, and, and some do. But how do you keep the discipline within the sales team so that they do ensure that they're bringing in clients that are a good fit? Well, there are probably several key things we put in place, Tats. The first one is you want a salesperson's monetary reward to match what you want the company to accomplish. And the company selling the tech should make sure that they're aligned with what their customers want. And if you do that at the top level and then drill it down, you don't want anybody being rewarded for something that's counterintuitive. So one is we actually reward them for customers that stay with us and install and are happy, right? So yes, you close like our net new salespeople that are out there. They get a commission on selling a deal, but then they also get commission as they grow and renew. So they, uh, the, it is financially disincentivized to sell this to somebody that's not going to love it because mm -hmm. <laughs> that will actually hurt them in the long run. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. Of course, this, the, the second thing is, is training. We have a, a fast-growing team. Our, our company is growing very quickly. Happy about that. I know, and, and I, I feel very blessed because of that, because I know COVID's been a, a tough time for a lot of folks, but it's almost been an accelerant for our business, which is great. I feel terrible saying that, but there we are. So we have to be careful about maintaining that and having active training about, we call it ideal customer profile. Like we purpose built this to serve a very specific type or set of companies. And if they don't fit that, then we should be very careful even approaching them because we can waste cycles selling to them. Or even if we're implementing them, it takes us a couple months to really get somebody up and running like full steam, right? And if we waste those cycles on folks that aren't a fit, it don't, it, yet, yet it, it definitely hurts the person buying the, from the technology partner, but it also hurts us. So we need to be really careful there. So we do a lot of training around that. And then of course, when we hire folks, we like to hire folks from industry. When I say from industry, I mean, I don't want to hire more folks like me from, from Oracle or Google. I want to hire more folks that had mud on their boots and actually lived that experience. 
I don't want them to fall in love with our solution. I want them to fall in love with the problem they're solving. Yeah, well said. Now, so from a industry standpoint, like just sort of going sort of higher level, what are the, the main trends or things that you're really looking at closely? Wow. There's probably a lot of ways we could take that question. It's a great one. So I'm, I'm first going to talk about the industry we serve. So our ideal customer has a whole lot of heavy yellow equipment. They've, they've got a whole bunch of uh, trucks and tired stuff they got to worry about. They got a, a lot of tools and then all the stuff that goes with that. They got to worry about how things fit together, uh, attachments and accessories and how those get assigned to groups and connex boxes and light towers and generators, right? So that, that there's a lot of complexity there. But in terms of trends, I got to think about what's going to happen to them. So right now, if you look at COVID or the economy or how much money is getting pumped out on things like infrastructure, that is, you know, that, that raising tide raises all the ships. You know, I, I, you know, we worry about captaining our ship, but macro trends and not even, you know, I, I would say it's all about like, how's this state doing? How's the nation doing? Much like real estate, construction is very localized and very independent on what you do. One construction company in one state doing one thing might be crushing it and another one's about ready to fall apart. So for me, we spend a lot of time thinking about how is our industry doing and where's the success going to be and where are people really going to be growing and focused on doing the job better and winning more business and you know monitoring safety better and, and utilization and getting better at maintenance and preventative maintenance and things like that. So we know that from a trend analysis, Wherever there's going to be big growth and real need, that's probably where we want to make sure we're there. So that's something we spend a lot of time thinking about. We also spend a lot of time thinking about how do we not just be a point solution? We spend a lot of time looking at who, who are the big players uh, that are building construction-specific tools in, 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 in the accounting and ERP space or in the project operations and project management. And, and we got to look at how do we deliver a full solution to our customers together so that they're not we have a frustration in construction. They buy something and they buy something and buy something. And then when they start their day, they realize these don't all talk to each other. And that's a real pain point for them. So I think it's, yeah, a construction company needs to be careful and thoughtful about that, not buy things that sit on an island. But it's also up to us to make sure that we think holistically about solving the problem and make sure we make those puzzle pieces fit together for them well. So we spend a lot of time watching the industry, seeing which other technologies are doing it well and really solving the problem well and really have momentum and, and make sure that we're working with them to deliver a full solution. So those are kind of, I guess, two trends that, that we think about is that there were a lot of tools out there that maybe did a good job for a specific area, but they also built it in a little bit of a black box, no open APIs, none of that kind of stuff, a little more complex than that, of course, but we want to work with folks that want to work together. Yeah, so, I mean, and the technology space, there's a lot of precedence for connecting and integrating and stuff like that. I know on the material side, you don't see as much of that. Some attempts are made. When you approach partnerships, how, how does that go? Like, what do you think through? What does that initial reach out look like? What is that process? Sure. Yeah. Uh, God, that's a great question. I use a really simple formula called ATM analysis, right? You want to First, you want to look at the technology itself, right? Is it really great at doing what it's supposed to do? And so you want to look at it, uh, how well would their technology plus our technology as a tool serving construction, if we integrated those together, is, 
is the sum greater than the parts to some degree, right? And that's that's where we look at the technology. And part of that technology might be their infrastructure and API in terms of sharing and integrating well. Are they built to partner well, technology speaking? The M is is really more for market, right? Who do they serve and why? Somebody that has a great technology but only has six customers is less interesting to us because, okay, so six customers are going to get evaluated. They have 6,000 customers. Well, that's vastly more interesting. And then, of course, there's the overlap in ideal customer profile, right? Like we don't, everybody in construction wouldn't buy from Tenna. It's the folks that have a bunch of equipment and want to manage it better would care about Tenna. But if you are buying from, say, Procore, a bunch of Procore's customers really benefit from Tenna. But the ones that are maybe a GC that doesn't do any sell perform, doesn't have any equipment, they don't give a hoot about it. So we got to, we look at that market, how big are they? How much momentum do they have? How greater, you know, how happy are their customers and how much do they need what we offer paired together? And how big, you know, how big are they and how big is their overlap with where Tenna serves? So I call that market. So T and M and then, and then the A is really all about appetite, right? There are some really old school companies still in construction that just don't look at it this way. They're like, this is my business. I don't want to talk to you. I want to land my customers. Overstating this a little bit, Tats, but so that appetite to partner, the the one I don't want to partner with the ones that just want to pitch a solution. What am I doing to sell my solution? How am I getting people to love my solution? It's like I want to work with some folks that are like, our job is to solve problems for construction. And how do we do that together? And if we solve their problem, they're going to keep buying from us. So that appetite. So I call it, you know, the appetite, the technology in the market. And if they have all those together, I say, you know, we go to the ATM, right? You know, the ATM machine. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's my basic methodology for who I think is important to work with. Wonderful. That's a great summary. So is there any question that I should have asked you that you want to cover? Wow. Thanks. That's your free swing. I'm going to say, I, w- I would talk about I would talk about the theory of consolidation in construction. And I'll talk about it a little bit selfishly, but I think it's something everybody should be looking at. I talked about a little bit about the point solutions, but like specific to equipment management, right? Like they're, well, let me put it in a historical perspective, Tats, because I think it's important. Like you would never want your accounting firm or accounting group at your construction company to be using three ERPs or three accounting systems, right? And you look at Project management, right? Like, well, I was just talking about Procore, for example. Like, you know, nobody wants to buy three project management systems and have the, those all operating. Your project managers would be very upset. Then we go to the equipment manager, and we haven't had a day yet when the equipment manager didn't have to live in a bunch of different worlds. They maybe had one or two systems for for their heavy equipment, one or two systems for their stuff that's on the road, maybe stuff for their tools. And now we are finally at a day where the equipment manager can have a day that's as, as productive as the project manager or, or, or the office, right? And now, so this consolidation where all of that is in one single pane of glass with mobile interface for the field, the web interface for the office, and they all tie together and are specific by what your role and function is. That's specific to Tenna, of course, but outside of Tenna, this is what everybody should ask for. Don't solve a problem on Monday that creates a problem on Tuesday and over and over again. Because I see that, like, they're like, well, here's what I need. All I, all I need today is this. So I'm going to buy that. And they don't think about next week and the week after that. And what's going to work for everybody in my company delivering projects well. So that's, I joined Tenna because I Tenna had that right. Like I, I didn't create that at Tenna. I, I joined six months ago and thought, oh, well, they've already got this right, so I don't have to fix that. I just have to make sure I don't break it. (laughs) But even outside of equipment management, I would say construction should be holding everybody accountable to that. Don't make me buy 
four or five things when it should be one thing. Wonderful. At our company, we love simplicity. It's always a hard thing to do, but anything that makes things simple is great. So Russ, thank you. Thank you so much. Running everything down, just try to make it into bite-sized chunks, which we can understand. Appreciate you coming on today. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dad. Take care. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.